Welcome to the Classic Tim Podcast, where we demystify cooking by bringing experts in from around the world to teach you the secrets they use to succeed every day. I'm your host, Tim Walsh, and I'm honored to bring you our next guest. Mindy, thank you so much for joining me today. I've been looking forward to this conversation for several weeks now, um, ever since my buddy Mitch, who was previously on the podcast, uh, told me about your cakes and I checked them out. I, I immediately knew that I know nothing about cakes and that this is someone who knows a significant amount that I could really learn from and I wanted to pick your brain. So a little intro for the folks uh, watching or listening right now. My name's Tim Walsh, and uh, I've been cooking since I was four years old. It's been a passion of mine basically my whole life. And my purpose with podcasts like these is to demystify the kitchen and make cooking and baking more approachable. Because I think one thing you find out from people who really love cooking and baking is that they love sharing it with other people. And the thing they want to see most is other people getting to enjoy it as well. And my guest tonight is Mindy Johnson. Uh, she's an absolutely incredible cake designer, builder, creator, baker. And uh, she's done cakes anywhere from lattice work to chocolate brains to Lego cakes and galaxy cakes and geode cakes. And there's really no way I can do her work justice just by listing them off. And what you really need to do is follow her Instagram. It's at Mindy Cakes to see literally hundreds of cakes. Uh, one of my favorites is your Nightmare Before Christmas pumpkin cake. That cake looks phenomenal. It looks awesome. It was really cool. I also, after watching all of your highlights on your Instagram, I have to commend you on your KitchenAid stand color or your KitchenAid stand mixer color because I have the same exact one and it's obviously the best color. So go pistachio. Um, and um, it, I'd love to dive right in and say, you know, if, if you wanted to share something with folks immediately right away, before I start asking questions, what would you like to share with them? Um, first, I guess, thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. It's awesome. Um, I guess I'm ready to dive into questions. I mean, um, cakes are something that I've been doing now for a few years, but like, it's it's kind of just like a side thing. It's my hobby, it's my like stress relief. Um, I'm a designer, product designer by day. So cake designer by night and weekend. Um, but it's definitely getting to be more and more like a part of my my life over the past few years, um, which is good because it's something that I, I enjoy so much. Um, so I'm excited to talk, talk cake with you. All right, cool. So I'd love to learn more about your background and you know, where you grew up, what got you into baking, and how long has baking been a part of your life? Sure. So um, currently I'm in the New York, New York area. I live in Brooklyn, um, but I grew up in Northern Virginia, like just outside of Washington, D.C., and my family still lives there, so I'm there a lot. But I grew up baking with my mom, who's a really good baker. Um, so I'm baked with her most of my childhood. Um, and for me, baking is, I think I just said this, but it's always been like super, like, it's my stress reliever. It's therapeutic for me. 
I don't know, frosting things is very therapeutic for me. Watching people frosting, it's like watching videos on Instagram of people frosting is very therapeutic for me. Um, so I've always been baking, like growing up. Um, I just recently, I guess, like two to three years ago, um, got into cakes much more like seriously and like focused much more on cakes before I was kind of like baking everything. Um, um, so I compete most years um, with pies. There's like a national pie championships that happens every year in Florida. Um, so that's like a fun way for me to kind of focus on like recipe development. Um, Cause that you have to like enter your own like original recipes and um, and also judge them all kind of things, but kind of like, that's where I focus a lot of my like recipe creation kind of stuff is like in the pie world. And then like my artistic more like decoration side is something that I really get out of like cakes and cake decorating. Okay. So would you say the pie side is a little more of your, your scientific side and the cake side is a little more of your creativity side, your artistic side? Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, I, pies are fun one. I don't know what it is about it, but I like taking like things that are not traditionally like pies, like other desserts, other kinds of like drinks, all kinds of other things and kind of trying to like recreate it in a, in a pie. Um, so that's like really fun for me. And I spend probably a few months every year just like solely focused on, on pie and creating the recipes and testing them and giving them to everyone I know for feedback um, before I can compete with them. Um, but that's really it. And I and still even like, I'm trying to branch out, but I kind of started out in pies because I'm so like based in like, um, like the creative industry and like, I am very like artsy and creative. I would kind of like, I was very like pigeonholed in like a very specific type of pie where it was like ones that I could make look really pretty because that's kind of like what I do. Um, so I've been trying to branch out of that recently and kind of like broaden my pie horizons and focus really on like whatever like tastes the best. Um, but there's some things like apple pie, like if it's got like a top crust, it can only look so, like there's only so much you can do. Whereas if you have like cream pies, like whipped cream and like mousses and all that stuff, you can like pipe stuff and make it look sort of like a cake in a way <laughs> and like decorate it more, which is kind of my thing. Okay. You can get a bit more elaborate and you could probably play with with height more in that case as well mm -hmm. yeah, you can definitely. only stack so many little cut out leaves on top of an apple pie shell yeah all right and so it, it the video or the audio cut out for just a second before so i don't know if you already mentioned this um, how long have you been doing that pie competition for um so the first year I entered was actually in 2008, but I haven't been every year since then. I think I've been from 2008 till last year. I think I've been like six years. Okay. Um, so the last, I've been the last three years. And then before that, it was like, I'd go every, every few years. And yeah, it's planning on going this year, but this year, of course, got um, canceled or postponed indefinitely, yeah. but hopefully, hopefully soon it'll be it's back. It's a little up tough to do again. a remote pie competition. Yeah. Yeah. So it's crazy because everyone's there like baking on site and everything. So can't really do it. Not in person. Yeah. Could you actually speak to more to what the competition is like? Like what was that experience like, say in general, but then could you also compare what it was like the first time versus the sixth time? 
Sure. Um, so very different because the first time I went, so the competition I'm talking about is it's called the National National Pie Championships and it's sponsored by the American Pie Council. So it's like an annual thing. They hold it every year in like or Orlando, I believe, Orlando area. Um, and the first time I went, I was actually very young. I was in the under 18 division, which they don't have anymore. Um, so they had like a youth vision, youth um, segment. And there was only a few categories you can enter in. There really wasn't that many people that entered it. Um, it was probably a group of like 10 people. Um, and I went down with my, I think mostly I hadn't baked a lot of pies before I did that. And I was in high school. And I think mostly I just like wanted an excuse for my parents to take me to Florida and go to Disney World. Um, and going and baking pie seemed like a good, good way to get them to bring me there. Um, but it ended up being a lot of fun. Um, I entered apple pie my first year and placed with that, which was awesome. Um, but they've changed, the competition itself has evolved a lot over the 10 years, 12 years I've been going. Um, but it used to be this huge, like sort of like festival. They had it in Celebration Florida, which is like, like Disney, very Disney town. Um, and it was this huge like outdoor festival open to the public. They had like events and kind of like, they're known for having this thing called the all you can eat pie buffet. So like anyone could go buy a ticket and you can eat as much pie as you want. And they had like um, demonstrations and all these things um, that anyone could go and have fun. And then they'd do the judging, the award ceremony at the end. That was the only year I think that I also had to bake like in front of people. So there was, they had like a station set up and you go, you bring all your stuff and they have cameras there. And there was like, I think Food Network was filming it that year. I think that's why they had like camera crews there and they had um, like a little station for you to like do everything. Um, now it's changed a little bit. They don't have an under 18 division. Um, it's not an outdoor, like it, I think it's still open to the public. You can go, but it's now it's like in a um, hotel conference ballroom situation that they have, they rent it for like a week and they have like different days devoted to different activities and luncheons and demonstrations, but it's more, I guess I'd say like low key. Um, but you don't also now you don't have to bake on site. Um, for me, it's harder because I have to travel down there. I think a lot of people that enter are local. So they can kind of like spread their stuff out throughout the week and bake it in their own kitchen. Um, I have to find hotels that have full, full kitchens and Wait, um, so or Airbnbs, I guess. They don't have the equipment at the competition. You're you're finding um, locations outside of the competition that fit your needs to be able to make the pies in a place yes. you've potentially never been before. Yeah, it's been. I have I've had issues with ovens before. It's been last year. My hotel didn't have an oven, which was an issue. I had to quick solve that. Um, one year, I actually was I was living in Florida for a year after college, so. That year I was able to bake a lot of pies and just drive them over, which was nice. Um, but usually I go down like two days in advance, do all my shopping early in the morning, do everything at the hotel. And then you drop off your pies at like 7 a.m. the day of judging. And then they have they have activities all through the weekend and all through um, the day that you can um, participate in. And then at in the evening of the last day, they have like an award ceremony. Um, and I will say, um, the attendance skews a lot older than me. A lot of like, I mean, it's Florida. People do travel from all over the country. And I, I would say there's a bunch of people that I see year after year after year that compete every year. Um, but 
it's really fun. Every year I kind of add to my, add another pie. I started going down and entering like one pie. Last year I entered four, five, something like that. Um, and next year I'm gonna enter even more, hopefully. All right, and I'm, I'm assuming that you share the recipes with folks afterwards or are these like coveted family secrets? No, um, they all live, I think online and like the Pie Council website or something. What I've been trying to do is this summer I've had a lot of time on my hands. Um, so I've been like, I started like a, I wouldn't call it a blog, like a website. And I'm trying to put websites out on, or recipes out on it. Um, so I released two, two pie recipes over the past couple months and I have more I want to do in the future, but I'm trying to like, um, I have to like reshoot them and like find time to like photograph them and make them look good. So what does, what does that process of making them look good look like? Is that your photos, anyone who hasn't seen your Instagram yet, your photos are phenomenal. It's clear you, beyond the fact that your cakes look great on their own, it's clear you have some really good design chops because your photos also look phenomenal. How, what's your setup look like? What's the process look like to either get a cake or pie ready for the photos? And like, what's your, what's your equipment go to? So actually 2020 for me has been the year I wanted to learn photography. Um, once kind of like, I don't know when it came around, April or May, when everyone was home all the time, I needed a new hobby. Um, and I decided that photography was gonna be it. Um, because I had like a small setup before then. Um, I had some like artificial lights set up, but it wasn't great. I didn't really know any sort of photography basics. I was shooting everything on my iPhone and it looked fine. But then earlier this year, I like had time on my hands and I wanted to really like step up my photography game. So I actually took an online class um, the beginning of the summer that was like specifically, it was photography, but it was specifically food photography. Um, and I bought a DSLR camera and as far as other equipment, I have a couple, um, I don't know what they're called, like backdrop boards um, that are like, one's like an artificial wood kind of white and one is like a marble, fake marble board that you can kind of set up as like the bottom and the backdrop. Mm -hmm. And um, I just kind of like, it's actually very hacky. It doesn't look good at all. When I shoot, I just set the boards up directly by my window and I don't have a table there. So it's sitting on my couch. I'll have to like take a picture sometime. It's like balancing on a book on my couch right under my window. Um, and I shoot it that way and then I disassemble it every time. So it's kind of a pain. I wish I had like a permanent like setup but my apartment's just way too small for that. Um, but I love like, I collect all these little like props and stuff. I love like cake stands. I've got like way too many. I think and I can kind of see like at adding. least three from here. I've got, I don't know, maybe like 10 or so. Oh, wow. Over there, which is too many for my New York apartment. <laughs> um, but I've been kind of like collecting and kind of like adding that. Cause that's kind of all I, I just used cake stands before. And then I was like taking this class and they're talking about composition and like all this, all the other pieces, like setting up your, um, the layout of your picture and the frame. And so I was like going out and buying like little like dessert spoons and you need like certain kinds of like cloth that won't get in the way of the photo, but it's like, like neutral colors and um, 
just like all these photography basics that are probably like basic for people to do photography, but were like new to me, just like, you know, um, like where to put stuff on a grid and like rule of thirds and like all the symmetrical stuff. Um, so that was mostly new to me and I've been getting a hang of getting the hang of using um, the camera and like a tripod setup and um, to make stuff look better this year. So I appreciate you noticing that it looks yeah. good. Is it I um I could pick up a few tips from you and uh, my setups whenever they are set up it's not just me taking a photo because I last minute forgot or rather last minute remembered oh I should take a photo of this before I stuff my face um, my setups are always janky like super janky like if you could see what my kitchen looks like right now it's like I've got this ring light stand sitting off on the side and the extra questions that I've got are just taped on sheets of paper on either side of, of my laptop right now so I could see them. And I think very rarely are people's setups actually attractive or look very professional unless that is their job and they have a space in their home dedicated for it. I do like the fact that you balance it on top of a, a couch and, and that you use books to help prop it up. Yeah, it's not ideal, but it's been it's been working for me this year. Oh, we um, just got a question in the chat about the photography. Kelly is saying she loves your your Instagram and your food art. And do you remember the name of the photography course? Yes, um, it is called Foodography, um, and it's a course um, by a pretty popular food blogger. Um, I don't know if you follow um, Broma Bakery. Um, she she has like a pretty popular I, I think it's mostly dessert dessert blog um on like one side and then she has her second business which is specifically food photography and that's got it's got an Instagram page if you go to food photography um but they do a few different levels of of classes um that kind of focus on one part of it also on um like the actual like mechanics of taking taking the photo the layout of the photo and then there's like um some additional parts where she talks more about like how to use food photography food photography if you want to like make money doing it like working with brands and like um doing photography for um other food bloggers or doing photography for um companies that need recipes and recipe development kind of all that sort of stuff so it's kind of like a very well-rounded like businessy and photography like very hands-on class so i enjoyed it but it was a good good activity for the summer all right food photography for the summer Perfect. I love it. That's a great name. It's a little, it's a little punny. It's just up my alley. <laughs> um, so we've already touched a bunch of different topics. This has been great. Um, I, I kind of want to take it back a little bit. And if you could share maybe like, what were some of you, you mentioned, I'll get the question out eventually. You mentioned that you you baked a lot with your mom growing up and baking's really been kind of a part of your life for a long time. Pies were a big part of it and you've got some pie recipes that I can't wait to check out. Uh, cakes are more of a recent thing, but what were some of your best childhood memories of baking? Um, I know Christmas is always like a huge baking time for my family. I mean, still to this day, like my mom and I plan our Christmas cookie baking list like well well in advance um and then we have a couple like family recipes that are like my absolute favorite recipes to this day um one of them is a chocolate like 
fudge recipe that I make with my family every year on Christmas. And then the other is a cake, which is probably my favorite. It is my favorite cake to date. And it was tricky because it was a cake that my grandma used to make. She would make it for like all of her grandkids' birthdays um, every year. Um, and then my mom, I guess, and my aunt, so her kids weren't that much into baking when they were younger. So like no one really learned from her how to like follow her recipes and stuff like that. So she, we have all her recipes um, after she passed away on like the index cards that she typed them on way back in the day. Um, but no one could like replicate this cake. So we worked on it, like me and my mom and my aunt, we worked on it for like years trying to like replicate this birthday cake that she used to always make us and we got it. So now it's like a holiday staple. I have it on my birthday and my dad has it on his birthday. And um, we probably have it like three or four times a year, but it's like a, it's not what I make often because it's not like a buttercream, like a traditional cake. It's like a chocolate, um, the frosting you cook on the stove. Um, so it's very like fudgy um, chocolate frosting, but it's my all time favorite cake that is kind of like a family recipe that's pretty special to us and we make it a lot so is it is it chocolate sponge and a chocolate sort of fudgy frosting or what what's... so it's yeah it's a vanilla cake my grandma actually she used to make it with a vanilla cake mix um a yellow box cake and then she would make like the homemade frosting um and my mom when she makes it she does like the yellow box cake and the frosting i do it um I use my vanilla cake recipe now just because it's my go-to that I do for all my cakes. Um, and then the chocolate frosting, I'm trying to think what's in it. It's a lot of butter and sugar, um, unsweetened chocolate, um, a little vanilla, a little salt, a little milk. I think that's it. Um, but you've got to like boil it like an exact time, like with a timer. And then you have to like let it sit or like put it on an ice bath and it has to like thicken to like this exact consistency. And if you let it sit too long, it gets like grainy. It's like a very, it's all about the timing. Okay. So it took us a long time to, to figure it out. And I like to do it where I like cut my cake layers really thin so I can have more frosting. I just like pile it on. Like I'll have like five layers of cakes, so like put frosting between, between each layer. Nice. So it's, that reminds me of a, another question I wanted to ask you is there seems to be and this is a little more tactical question. There seems to be like 101 different ways that people like to cut their cakes to get even layers. What, uh, what's your favorite method and or uh, what are some of your favorite tips to being able to cut even layers so you can get more of that frosting in between there? Sure. Um, so I do mine with a bread or cake knife, serrated knife. I don't use like the levelers that have like the wire. I know a lot of people use those. Um, but as far as like tips, what I always do is I freeze all of my cake layers pretty much almost out of the oven. Like they're still warm. I wrap them, I freeze them. Um, even if it's like a cake I'm using the next day, it always goes in the freezer. Um, and then I take it out probably like 30, 20, 30 minutes before I'm gonna start using it so it can start to thaw. And then basically if you try to level it when it's too frozen, you will cut yourself. That's happened to me many times. Just like holding a, holding a bread knife and holding the top of the cake. Oh no. Um, yeah, so you don't want it to be like rock hard, but if it's still cold and partially frozen, it's easier to trim your cake. Um, you'll get less crumbs. So also if you're doing any sort of like carved cake, 
the colder the better because crumbs will get everywhere. Um, I don't measure like height-wise my cakes. Um, I eyeball it. I bake. All of my cakes are like how I, I just cut basically a little bit off the top just so it's flat. I don't cut any like in half or anything. Um, so I bake them, I guess, a little bit thinner to begin with. Um, most of my cakes, I do four layers. So I bake them in four pans and then just level the top of each each layer just by, I use a um, a turntable. So I have an Ateco, Ateco turntable, um, which is one of the ones on like, I think you get on Amazon. Um, yeah put the cake on it, put my hand on top. And as I'm like turning the turntable, I'm like sort of slicing it very slowly just to get the top level off. But turntable is one of my must have, I'd say tools of cake, cake baking these days. I don't have a few, don't have a lot of tools that I would say are must haves, but the turntable is like a, a lifesaver. <laughs> Use it for everything. So that, that leads me to another one of the questions I, I had, um, if you were say doing desert island baking, right? You had to make a cake and you were only allowed to bring five tools. We'll assume you have an oven that is calibrated. Uh, what are the five tools that you need airdropped in on that desert island or your five most useful tools that you would have to be able to make a cake? Okay, five tools. I would say my KitchenAid. Okay. Um, and a Teco turntable or any turntable. Um, an angled spatula. So I like the big ones, but I have them in varying sizes. But the big ones are the best for like filling, um, filling and stacking your cakes. Um, that's three. Four would be an icing scraper or a bench scraper, any sort of flat, flat edge. Um, I prefer, I have a few, the like metal ones or aluminum ones. Those ones are amazing. They also sell like acrylic and like plastic and stuff like that. Um, that's four. You got one left. Do 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 I get cake pans? Does that count? Cause I kind of need those. Oh, oh, that's a good question. Um, let's, okay, let's give you the cake pans. Let's assume those are airdropped with the oven beforehand. Okay. Um, Honestly, those are my, those are my go-to for, if I had to say sign out, rubber spatulas, I go through rubber spatulas like, like crazy. Um, they're so flexible, every bowl. Um, Wait, like you're it. breaking your rubber spatulas or no, you I use several have, of I, them? I use a ton of them for okay. everything and I have, I have a lot of them. I'm not breaking them yet. Yeah. I thought good. you were saying like, I, I like destroy my rubber spatulas. I have to buy a new one every couple of weeks uh, that I was going no, to have to I just use a, it. use a lot. <laughs> Do you have a, uh, a favorite brand for spatulas? Um, mine are all from, I think they're all from Sur La Tabla. Um, they're, they're actually metal. The handle's metal and all the spatula part of it is rubber. Um, they're just, I prefer those just because they're easy and I can put everything in the dishwasher. There you go. That's, yeah. So if I was... Uh, if I was making a, say, a vanilla cake myself, a four-layer vanilla cake, uh, but it's, it feels really basic and I wanted to spruce it up a bit, what are one to two things I could do to elevate or make more interesting that cake? 
Um, I mean, so many things. Um, a couple of things, like for me, I don't like piping stuff that much. Um, like piping bags would not be included on my list of things that are like my go-to, go-to items. Um, so anything you can do with like a knife or a spatula. So like, for instance, there's like a watercolor sort of effect, which is pretty cool. You just frost your cake um, in like white or vanilla or something, and then take the leftover frosting and dye it a few different colors and kind of smudge it, like do smudges of it around the cake, take an icing scraper and like blend it all together. And it does kind of like a watercolor effect, Okay. which is pretty cool. You could even probably do that on like a cake you buy store any sort of cake it just like spruce it up and make it look more like homemade um drip cakes are really fun um you can do it like a ganache drip around the side or like a colorful drip with um i usually use like cream and candy melts if i'm gonna do it like colorful um that's really pretty and for folks that don't know what a drip cake is could you describe in a little more detail what that is yeah so um Basically you take like a ganache, which is just like a melted chocolate and cream deliciousness. And um, I, what I do is I just take it in a bowl and like pour it over the top of the cake and then take a spoon or a spatula and kind of edge it towards the side. So it falls down the sides of the cake in little like pretty drips. Um, and it's super like, it's not technical or anything like that. Like I just use a spoon and push drips over the sides. Um, so it doesn't have to look precise. It, kind of like even like messy still like looks good. I think it's kind of like all fail proof. Um, and I, I do it on a lot of my cakes actually, just cause I think it's really pretty and easy. Have it also ever... covers up spots. If you have any like mistakes, you can like put a drip over it. Oh, that's great. What, uh, what other tips do you have actually about covering up mistakes? Um, sprinkles put sprinkles on it. I love sprinkles. Um, put drips on it. Another, I don't know if this is a mistake, but one of the things that bugs me a lot when I'm doing cakes is if I'm like impatient, the, um, the buttercream has lots of like air bubbles in it. And that bothers me a lot if you're trying to get like a really smooth cake. Um, so a couple ways to like get rid of those is like one, if once you take your buttercream out of your KitchenAid, um, take a spatula or a spoon and mix it by hand for a few minutes because you want to like knock the air out because if it's running in a KitchenAid for a lot while it gets a bunch of air in it and then that leads to air bubbles when you're trying to frost it um so like knocking it out with a spoon and then if you're impatient like me and don't do that a lot you put it on your cake there's lots of little dots and bubbles um you run like a knife or a spatula cake scraper under hot water for a few seconds um dry it and use your turntable or whatever run that around the cake and it like melts the outer layer slightly that it all smooths together and it like clears up any sort of like imperfections okay. i do that a lot like even if i like i'll sometimes like smudge a cake with my finger if i'm like putting it in and out of the fridge and then just heat up a spatula and kind of like clean it up a little bit all right sprinkles heated tools drips those are great i um i always seem to have trouble getting the very bottom edge where the cake meets the board filled in well. And so I, that's where I will do most of my piping. 
because even if I don't fill in that corner perfectly, I can pipe little dots or something all around the outside that no one ever knows. Exactly. I do that with sprinkles a lot. I do the bottom like sprinkle border all the time just because it covers up, especially if you're moving cakes like on and off of boards or cake stands, that bottom edge is like always rough looking. So put it on the cake stand and then cover it with sprinkles. So I need, I need to dive into the sprinkles further because I've tried it and it, I think the end product looks okay, but it always feels like a huge pain and hassle and like it makes a huge mess, which makes me think I might not be doing it right. Um, I will say it does make a mess. I okay. always have to sweep my floor. There's always sprinkles on it. Okay, that um, makes me feel better. As, yes, not just you. Um, it's easier to put them on a cold cake. So after you frost, keep the cake in the fridge probably like 30 minutes or something before you try and put sprinkles on it. Um, some, I just kind of, sometimes I use a spatula, like I pour it down next to the cake, use the back of the spatula and kind of put it on. Most times I use my hands because it's just easier and just kind of like pat it to the sides of the cake. Um, if you're covering the whole cake, you can roll, you can like pick up a cake and roll it in sprinkles on a baking pan. Oh, that um, makes sense. Yeah, just pour That's, all your I, sprinkles onto a baking sheet. It feels like kind of a, like a, a risky maneuver. Your cake like, has to be cold and you have to have a board on both sides. Okay. And then push and then roll it on it. and roll. I'm just- And that'll cover up all the mistakes. <laughs> I'm just imagining myself trying that and then the like the layers sliding apart or like something going horribly wrong. I, it'll be fine. If your cake is cold enough, you can do like okay. anything to it. Cake's cold, you can like pick up a cold cake out of the fridge like on the sides and it won't leave a mark. Awesome. Okay. This seems to be a recurring theme. Frozen cakes before trimming, cold cakes so that the crumbs don't come out, cold when you're sticking the sprinkles on or when you're rolling it in a pan full of sprinkles. Yeah. Um, I mean, I keep my all the cakes in the fridge all the time, mostly because a lot of my cakes go elsewhere. Um, they travel, they go home with people. And the colder the cake is, the better it's gonna travel. Especially in like New York when it's like, you're in like an Uber, the, it's sitting in like the trunk of a car. Um, you want it to be as cold as possible. Um, whereas cakes that are staying in my apartment, I will often leave them out. I won't put them in the fridge just because they taste, like you wanna eat it at room temperature. Um, so I'll keep them, keep them out on the counter. I'm trying to think. Have you made, like, um, have you tried the mirror glaze thing yet, Kate? I have not, because it it looks so fancy that it seems intimidating, but at the same time, when I see folks do it on the Great British Baking Show, it seems like it might be easy. It's actually, like, you could take, it'll make your cake go from, like, extremely plain and basic to, like, awesome. Like, I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I've gotten to really like them. Cause it's so easy too. You don't really need the technique cause you just pour it. Okay. Just pour it over so, the cake. And, and for folks that don't know what a mirror glaze is, that's a, and correct me if anything I'm saying here is in, uh, not accurate. A mirror glaze is when you make some form of a fairly liquid topping that you pour over the top of your cake where the goal is to create a layer that is so shiny, you can actually see somewhat of a reflection in it. Yes, Okay. exactly. Um, and they're, 
like you can do a mirror glaze of all different colors. I think like there was like a trend recently that's like the galaxy cake. So you do like dark, like dark navies and blacks um, and with the mirror glaze and it looks galaxy space-like, which is pretty cool. All right. So what, uh, what's involved typically in making a mirror glaze? Like if someone said, hey, Mindy, we need you to whip up a mirror glaze right now. Like what ingredients are typically in it? What does the process look like? Sure. So the mixture is um, sugar, a little bit of water, sweetened condensed milk, gelatin, and white chocolate. I think that's it. Um, so it gets the flavors from the white chocolate. It's pretty much what it tastes like. But I think the like shininess of it, I think is from the gelatin and the sweetened condensed milk, maybe. Probably mostly okay. the gelatin. Um, you kind of you mix together most of those ingredients on the stove, get the gelatin in there. Um, and then you would pour that over white chocolate, sort of like you're making like a ganache or something. Um, and you dye it a bunch of colors, however you want your cake to look. Um, I guess things I learned after, because the first one I made, I remember did not turn out well um, at all. But then I figured really quickly, like the few things you need to kind of make it successful. One is your cake needs to be very cold. Um, maybe even put it in the freezer for a little while because this mixture you just made is hot. Um, it just came off the stove. So if you pour that on the not cold cake, it's gonna melt all your frosting. Um, so I've had that before where like you lose, even if it's not melting all of it, you'll lose like the sharp, you'll lose like the edges of when you smoothed your frosting and made it all like nice and clean. Um, you'll lose all of that. Um, and on that same note, I like to make my cakes before I pour it on, I like to make them pretty smooth because the glaze sort of like fondant and it'll like take the shape of whatever's under it. So if you have like a lumpy cake and you pour that glaze on it, it's, you're gonna have glaze on a lumpy cake. That so makes like, sense. Smooth out, smooth out the cake as much as you can. Um, make sure that the cake's really cool, cold. Also like let, I let the glaze cool a little bit. You, It's kind of like a tricky time thing, I guess. Um, uh, the recipe I use, I think, has a temperature. So if you have like a food thermometer or something, you can like monitor it because you want it to cool like a, a couple, maybe like five minutes just so it's not super hot, but you also don't want it to set because once it sets, you can't do anything with it. You got to kind of get it on the cake pretty quickly, but it's fine. I usually just take a few colors and kind of drizzle them all over the place and they kind of blend together as they're falling down the sides of the cake. And then if you're doing galaxy, like throw some star sprinkles on it, call it a day. Looks very cool. All right, some sparkles maybe in there a little bit. Edible glitter. Mm -hmm. Yes. Nice. Um, we got a, another question in the comments here and it lines up well with an area I wanted to go into next of, you know, your, your cakes have many different and varying designs. It's not like you're taking the same design and just tweaking it a tiny bit every time. Where is your inspiration for these coming from? And who, if anyone, are you, you following these days or, or learning from? Um, let's see, it's a lot. My inspiration, inspiration comes from a lot of places. I'd say I do follow a lot of cake artists on Instagram. And I'm like always like browsing like the like explore page of Instagram and kind of like most of the content that comes on my feed is, is cake. Um, that's pretty much what I use my, my page for. So that's kind of what I see most of the time. Um, as far as who I follow off the top of my head, not, I can't name a lot, but, um, 
there's a few. There's like, um, there's a page called um, Cherry Bomb, which is, I think they're based in New York, but it's, um, they feature a lot of female um, chefs and bakers um, and kind of showcase their work, um, which is awesome because there's a lot of stuff that's like really inspiring there. Um, I follow, there's a lot of really good Australian bakers. I follow a lot of people that are based in Australia, which is interesting. Um, I also get a lot of inspiration. Like I think I was saying earlier, I try to like take stuff that's not traditionally cake and kind of make it a cake. Like, I don't know if it was last year. At one point I did a bunch of cakes that was basing off of cocktails. So I've done like um, margarita cakes and tequila sunrise cakes and also like coffee drinks, like espresso cakes and just like all these different flavors that I wouldn't traditionally like find, find in the cake. Um, Let's see. Right now I'm really into, I just like, I'm playing with a lot of stencils, buttercream stencils, um, which has been really fun. I found, never like find new tools or new kind of like techniques like that. It's really fun to play around with. Um, I get a lot of inspiration from sprinkles. I have, I don't know, I put sprinkles on everything. I have like probably way too many. So I like pull inspiration from the colors and different mixes. Um, so the sprinkles come first yeah. sometimes. Sometimes, yes. Um, I have a ton of sprinkles from specifically the brand I buy most is Fancy Sprinkles. Um, they've got all these like really cool, unique blends. Um, so I've got shelves full of those and I kind of use those a lot of times as inspirations for the cake, which seems backwards, but it works. I mean, based on everything I see you creating, it seems to be working. Thank you. Um, so let's see what what are you what are you really obsessing about these days? Whether it's a specific thing about cakes or or is there something in the realm of baking that you're you're finding yourself going really deep on right now? Maybe if it's it's even the lattice pieces with the buttercream. Um. So. Yeah, stenciling right now is one of them. I just bought some more stencils too because I only have a few. It's really fun. I did my first like wedding cake this summer, which I stenciled, um, which is awesome. It's very time consuming. I've come to realize because the stencil is only, I don't know, so big. So you have to like do part of the cake, chill the cake, do the next part of the cake, chill the cake. So it's a very long process, but I think the outcome looks really awesome. Um, this year, I mean, so the thing with, cakes is I used to make them all the time just because I wanted to and then I could bring them to work or give them to friends and get them out of my apartment and this year that's been like very difficult so I've been baking less cakes this year I would say just because I don't want them sitting around my apartment and my freezer is already full of cake um so I've been playing with a bunch of other stuff this year I tried I bought like a um pastry cookbook I tried the croissants thing a few times which is I don't think I have the patience for um, I don't know, people always ask me because they always ask how long these cakes take to make. And so you'd think it would require patience, but like croissants take like three days to make. I don't yeah. have that. I don't have that patience. So it is like, I mean, I gave up on sourdough. I didn't have the patience for that. Um, sourdough definitely has upkeep. You got to feed the starter regularly. And yeah, it's a, it's a lot of like steps to keep in mind. Yep. Yeah. I've gotten down like the cake scheduling now 
I've gotten it down to like a rhythm where I do everything over a series of days. I never kind of do a cake start to finish in a day. Um, so I've got a pattern down that works for me and it doesn't seem as um, time consuming when I think about it that way as some of these other pastry things I've tried. What does that pattern look like? Yeah, so um, I usually bake my cakes two to three days before I need them and I freeze them. So I always, even if I'm making it the day before, I always put them in the freezer just because it makes it easier to um, decorate in my opinion. Um, so like I just baked a couple cakes today that I need for Saturday. So they're in my freezer now. And then tomorrow I will make any sort of toppings I need for them. And then probably tomorrow evening, I will assemble, decorate, and then it's being picked up Saturday. So I'll do the photography Saturday morning and then box it up like 30 minutes before it needs to go. So it's still very cold, um, put it in a box and say goodbye to it. So it's usually like a three day, three day process for me. Okay. So, and then this one's boxed up and being shipped out to someone else. How are you finding other people to eat these cakes for you and or put in requests or like what's, you mentioned, you know, as we're all experiencing right now during COVID, we can't bring baked goods into the office anymore, which was also my go-to for a long time. And it was great. So how are you adjusting to that now? Um, I mean, overall this year, I just haven't baked as many cakes, um, but I still do a lot for friends and friends of friends, coworkers, people that, you know, um, the one tomorrow is for a coworker. And I did a couple last week for um, friends, like children for birthday parties because kids are still having their, they still want to celebrate their birthday even if they can't have like big parties and stuff. Um, so people will come and luckily a lot of people I know, I guess have cars. I'm in New York, I don't have a car. So one thing like for me, I'm not, I used to deliver cakes to people that um, wanted to get one from me, but I'm not really doing any of that because I don't really leave my house much anymore. <laughs> um, but if my friends are willing to come to me to pick up the cake, I will make it for them. All right. So you're a good, good friend to have, good person to know. Yeah, I don't really advertise or anything like that because it's still kind of just like a side um, hobby um so it's mostly just like word of mouth through friends of friends and stuff like that and so the way you're just describing it you're saying you're not really making as many cakes now as you used to but at the same time it sounded like you just said in the last week you've made something like three cakes is that accurate um i had a week last week where i did three in a week and then i have one this week but then like i don't think i had like Annie in October. I did one okay. in September. So it's very, it's like very spread out. Like I'll have a month where I don't do any and then I'll have a week where I do three. Okay. Um, I wasn't so sure. It's very if, random. I wasn't sure if, if three is the low amount and the rest of the time it was like six, nine cakes a week. And you're just. No, three a week is a lot, especially okay. because that was, I had to rearrange shelves in my refrigerator to fit three cakes in there. It's not used to it. All three were in at the same time? Um, yes, there was a period where I had three cakes in there. Oh, man. I Usually don't... I would cap it at like two just because I didn't know three would fit. But it did once I rearranged stuff. <laughs> it did once it had to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, I, 
I think if I put three cakes in my fridge, there would be enough room for maybe eggs and uh, everything else would have to sit outside or have to be eaten right away. Um, when you're, when you're making these cakes or when you're trying a new design, how often does it work out the first time? And, or how many cakes do you typically make before you end up showing it to someone? Um, so there are a lot of cakes I make that I do not put on Instagram. Um, some of them that I was just like experimenting and playing with. Some of them are good. I give to people. I just, they don't photograph well. And if it doesn't look great, I sometimes won't post it. Um, it just looks better in person. So bad lighting or I just couldn't, couldn't fix it. Um, but I'd say the majority of them, like 90% of them are ones that I post on Instagram. Um, I'd say more of like the experimentation stuff is coming through when I do like recipe development. So like I make a lot of cakes sometimes. Sometimes I don't even decorate them or frost them when I'm just playing with like recipes. So I'll, um, this summer I was doing a lot. I was trying to like, I was working with, I think it was a pina colada cake or something. And I threw away like three cakes. So they never got frosted. They never got, cause some of them were just like inedible. Um, oh, no. Or sometimes I just eat cake scraps and just like snack on it. Um, but those ones are more for like me as like, I'm just like kind of experimenting with recipes of like the cake itself, as opposed to like experimenting with the design. So I'd say more of the ones that don't make it are ones where I'm playing with flavor. I will say like the mirror glaze one, the first one I made, did not turn out well but everyone I've made since then since I learned the like temperature thing you don't want to melt your frosting yep has been fine so I've had a few of those or I've had a couple requests from people that are just like kind of weird that I do but then I just like don't post it because I feel like they're like inside jokes or something like that <laughs> that I feel like other people are just gonna think are very weird um so yeah there's a handful of cakes that I won't like share either because I don't think they look great or people might think it's weird <laughs> is there has there ever been a cake you made that after you made it, you just said to yourself, I'm never making this again? Um, yeah, there's a few like of the things that were like trends that I was like, maybe I'll jump on this like bandwagon and then was like over it. I made one unicorn cake and then never again did I want to make a unicorn cake. Um, what other trends? What think. about the unicorn um, cake made you not ever want to make it again? I don't, there's like having, first of all, like I'm not super a big fan of like piping. And so like you had to like, I think I had like three or four piping bags with different tips in them and different colors. And you have to like do all of that and then making stuff. I'm not a huge fan of fondant. I use it every once in a while, but like molding all the little pieces. Um, I'm really trying, one of the, I don't really like baking as much like, I guess like novelty, like kids type cakes even though I end up making them a lot because a lot of my I know a lot of people with kids um but I'm trying to like steer a little bit away from that aesthetic um I'm trying to think of other things that I'm not I mean sometimes I'm really I, I love the geo cakes that's like I think those are so fun to make and they look really cool and also any kind of cake where I can like slice a piece of the cake out before it's done and eat it I'm like all for you get to test it out beforehand. It's uh, exactly. you're being scientific with it. You need to make sure it's good so that other people can enjoy it. Exactly. Um, so it's, 
That's, so we know you don't want to make unicorn cakes. Um, we know you do like geode cakes, which is awesome. I, if anyone, I'm going to plug your Instagram again because your cakes do look phenomenal. And um, I watched your geode cake uh, highlight all the way through, uh, partially because I was just curious how you did it. Makes total sense. You cut out a chunk, but then how'd you get the coloring for the sugar crystals? My initial thought was going to be that you got different color bands of them and then meticulously place them. So I was glad to see at the end that you're actually just painting them by hand because that I seems think, like Yeah, I think a work. lot of people do use colored rock candy, like the kind that come on the sticks that are like colored. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people do, do it that way. Um, I don't know. I've never tried that though. I've just kind of, the first time I did it, I started with like the white, white rock sugar and started painting it. I just feel like I would lose patience and I, I would just be like, this is, this is hopeless. I can't do this. All cakes require, I feel like a good degree of patience just because I don't know. I feel like everything I do, I'd like spend five minutes on it and then put it in the fridge for like 30 minutes and then spend five minutes and then put it on the fridge for like 30 minutes. And it's kind of like, it doesn't take a lot of active time, but when you add it all up, like waiting and chilling, there's a lot of patience required. I think I'm I'm good at the waiting type of patience, the um, the meticulous tiny details patience. Oh well, although um, I'm the yeah. same way. Like I was, I shared a video this summer. I think it's in one of my um, highlights or whatever they're called. I was doing like a coconut ruffle cake, and I only decorated half the cake. <laughs> halfway, I gave through. Uh, I gave up halfway through because you're literally hand placing coconut around the cake, like one piece of coconut, a coconut chip, I guess, like at a time. So I was recording it and halfway through, like I was like, I'm done. I got halfway, so it's enough for like, you can take a picture and I, I gave up. And then called it at that point. I don't blame you. I watched that video while I was watching. I was like, oh my God, how much patience, patience does this person have? This is insane. And then you got the end, you're like, that's enough. I'm not doing it anymore. So I'm like, okay, that cool. cake, That was a cake that wasn't going anywhere. It was gonna, I was gonna eat it. So as long as you got the, everyone got the idea of how to do it. So that's good enough for me. Yeah, you, you were able to share how it's done. And if someone feels adventurous and they wanna do the whole thing, they know enough to do that now. Exactly. It's a really cool technique though. I would, I like recommend it. It's just, you have to have patience, but the fin final product looks really cool. It, like, uh, yes, yours looked phenomenal. And it's, I feel like it's one of those techniques that uh, you can ask someone else to do for you. If you're getting yeah. a cake done, ask someone else to do that ruffle for you. And then exactly. you can really appreciate it that way and know how much work went into it, but not have to do it yourself. That's the best way to do it. Um, so what is, what's something that has in the last six months, maybe 12 months, something that's changed in your baking, how you do baking now, as opposed to how you did it six or 12 months ago? Um, in my baking, I mean, the main thing that has changed is not in the baking itself over the six months, but it's been on how I shoot like photograph and shoot it because just because that's like what I've been focused on this year um in the baking I think about this one um sorry I don't I don't know um 
I've definitely, um, I guess less about the cake baking itself, more around process and stuff like that. Um, just being better about like how to, what kind of boards to use, what kind of, I, I think um, if you've seen the highlights, you know, sometimes I use like acrylic discs and knowing like when I wanna use different techniques, how I wanna um, box and transport cakes has gotten a lot smoother as I've done it more often. Um, I did, I mean, I keep saying I don't like fondant that much, but this year I've done a few cakes in fondant and I finally like feel very comfortable with like the process of using it because it used to like scare me a lot. And I, but now like I've, I've accepted this year that like the only way I can do fondant is if you put, um, if you ganache your, ganache your cake and then fondant it as opposed to buttercream and then fondant it. Don't, buttercream under fondant is a bad, bad combination. Why, um, what about that combination doesn't work out well? Um, Basically, buttercream, well, fondant you shouldn't put in the fridge. So you've got to leave your cake out at room temperature. And buttercream at room temperature is going to soften a lot. Like it's not going to keep its hard shape like it would if you put it in the fridge. And then, especially if you're stacking cakes, like tiers. Um, I had a cake earlier this year that I was two tiers and it was fondant. And I had it, I did it the night before it was being picked up. And then you wake up in the morning and like it kind of all sinks a little bit because not a lot, but like you can fix it. But like because the buttercream sinks a little bit. So the fondant's gonna sink a little bit and then the layer is gonna sink a little bit. Like everything just slightly starts to sink. Um, not to the point where it's like ruined or anything, but it just doesn't look as like sharp or anything as if ganache sets at room temperature. Um, so you can even like um, fill. So like I can still fill the inside of the layers with buttercream if you want that for like a flavor, even though ganache tastes great too if you're using chocolate. As, um, as your sweater is conveying to us. Oh my goodness, ganache sweater. <laughs> um, so yeah, like if I'm doing a chocolate cake, sometimes I'll fill it with chocolate ganache just because I really like that taste. Um, but if it's like a vanilla something more, I'll fill it sometimes with like a buttercream or like a fruit flavored buttercream. And then I'll ganache the outside, that just the part that's going to be under the, um, the bonnet. And then because it'll set up really smooth and really firm to the touch at room temperature. So when you put the um, fondant on, you can keep the really smooth, like really sharp edges of your cake and it'll stack very neatly if you're doing multiple tiers and it'll just look a lot um, less, I guess, like frumpy than when I do buttercream. Okay. Maybe other people have the secrets to doing buttercream and, and fondant. I've just kind of accepted the fact that if I do fondant, it needs to be ganache. Okay. I mean, it makes sense, right? If you can't refrigerate fondant, but you want to keep your buttercream cold, how would you pull those off at the same time without somehow making some sort of magical sponge that releases coolness to the buttercream. Exactly. <laughs> Until someone designs one of those though, you might be, you might've already discovered the correct or the best approach. I mean, if you like the taste of ganache, like I do, like I, I do, sometimes I do, actually a lot of time I'll um, cover cakes and ganache instead of buttercream, um, just flavor preference. So when you mentioned a minute ago that uh, you've been practicing a lot more with the boxing the cakes so that they travel better, what are some of the like takeaways that you've discovered this year? Yeah, mostly it's just that I've started like 
investing in the proper stuff that's actually needed to like transport cakes. Um, Cause what I did for years is I had this set, I still have a lot of them of bulk cake boxes that I bought on Amazon. They're like the cardboard color and they're, I want to say they're like eight by eight by not a eight by eight by like four or something. So they're not quite tall enough for like most of my cakes. So I would put the cakes in there and then the lid would kind of be like perched up and I would carry those places like on the subway or like in the car. And it doesn't look great. Most of the time I'd just be bringing them to work. So I didn't really care. But like when I'm starting to give people um, cakes for like parties or events, um, I want it to look better than that. And also wanted to transport the ones that I was doing. I didn't literally have to like have it on me or on the lap. Like you'd have to have, be carrying it at all times just because it wasn't, it wasn't even fully enclosed. It was like a nice brown cake box. So just getting the proper um, tools. So like I now buy um, cake boxes. I still buy them in bulk, but they're, um, they're much taller. So the entire cake could fit in them. And they've got clear like sides. So you can see the cake. Um, but the important part is they're taller and they're actually meant for the cakes, the size that, that I make. And then also like using the board, the right size, like the board needs to be the same size as the box. So nothing shifts or moves. Um, so like, if you want to put your cake, if you're planning on ending up putting your cake on a cake stand, you're going to want to use two boards. You're going to want to use a board that's the size of the cake and then tape that or glue that to a board that's the size of the box so that you can take one off and you don't see the board on your cake stand. Okay. Um, so, so it covers presentation and transportation. Yes. And then also just like if any larger cakes, I do it for eight inches and larger. I use cake drums, which are like the really thick um, boards just for like stability because some of the cakes will get really, really heavy. And they also look nice for, for presentation. Um, most of the cakes I do though are, are pretty little ones are six inches. Um, so as I just throw on a small board and um, sometimes it's two boards and I'm gonna put it on the stand. And that's pretty much it. So I just now have like a collection of, of the tools I need to get everything done in a much more appealing looking and safer transportation way. Nice. Well, thank you for sharing that um, because I'd never made the distinction before about making sure the cake board was the same size as the vessel it's traveling in um, and what immediately came to mind is the times where I've tried to travel with a uh, like a cake carrier, so a reusable cake carrier. They're all kind of big, so you can fit whatever size cake in them, but that means I never have a board that's the right size. And so what I would typically do is use the really thin double-sided tape that you can get in a roll, and I'd throw a few pieces down inside the cake carrier and then put the board on top of that so that it doesn't slide too much, but I'm still super paranoid that it's gonna come loose in the middle of transportation. I had to transport a very, um, very finicky black forest cake for my girlfriend's birthday last year. And that doesn't use buttercream, it uses whipped cream as the frosting in between the layers. So it's less stable. Uh, it, there were also some bamboo skewers in there to keep things in place, but the, the, as simple as it is, the board being the same size as the vessel makes total sense. Yes. Um, yeah. So I use a double-sided tape too. Sometimes I tape just a board to a board for one for presentation, one for um, transport, like you were saying. Another thing that's also super useful is um, those like non-slip, um, I don't know what the material is 
Um, I have one that came with my Ateco turntable because you put like this like little non-slip um, grippy, it's not paper material. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Um, it's like- yeah. um, Me you, It's almost like meshy kind of. Yeah, you could buy it for uh, cabinets. It could be like a cabinet yeah. liner. Yeah, exactly. So like I use those on the um, turntable to put my board on so it stays placed, but you can use the same thing for like in the car or like on a cake um, carrier and then put your thing on it and it's like the grippy thing. So nothing should move. That makes total sense. Yeah, for anyone who's listening to this right now, if you just Google grippy cabinet liner, you'll probably find exactly what we're talking about. Um, it, it'll look as, as many mentions kind of meshy. If it looks like that, You've nailed it. So when you look at someone else's cake, what are the first things you look for to, to determine whether or not this is a really good cake or a cake that maybe could use some improvement? As someone like inside of the cake world, how do you judge other cakes? Um, I mean, really good I think it depends on what the person was like going for like if they're like a professional like I mean most professional cake artist cakes look like really good um for me like I personally like cakes that have like really smooth sides and sharp corners on the top um which is something like not everyone does because you need to use like a scraper or um like I use acrylic discs sometimes on the top if I want to get really sharp edges around the sides um, and I always use a cake scraper to get um, sharp sides. Whereas like if you're um, most like amateur bakers or anyone who's just doing it, cake every once in a while, um, which was like me two years ago, I would, if you're just using like spoons or spatulas, you're not gonna get like a really sharp side, um, which doesn't, it just looks more like rustic. Like you can use a spoon and make cool patterns. Like there's nothing wrong with it. It still tastes yeah, exactly You're definitely the same, but... describing my cakes right now. A little more rustic. I mean, uh, yeah, I've yet to get the sharp corners. But like, you can also tell like when people are going for the rustic look as in when people, and also when people are going for the really smooth and it just isn't smooth. <laughs> so you can kind of like tell, like um, tell what people are going for and if they're kind of getting it or not. Um, so like my personal preference is I love, like I can spend like 20 minutes literally going around and trying to smooth the cake, which is probably like excessive and over overdone a bit. But I really like like the smooth, very smooth finish. And um, I, I want to be mindful of the time here. We've been chatting for just over an hour. Um, so I want to open it up to anyone who's on the call with us. If you want to ask a question of Mindy or myself about cakes or baking in general, um, you can either throw a comment into the chat or unmute yourself and ask a question. And uh, feel free to jump in. And while we're waiting for anyone to share any comments, I've got kind of a couple questions I think we could wrap up with. Oh, here we go. When a cake comes out of the oven and is wrapped while it's warm, what is the benefit of doing this? And is plastic wrap or foil used to wrap the cake? Um, so I don't know if this depends on what type of cake you're doing. So like all of my vanilla cakes are like butter based cakes and then my chocolate cakes or oil-based cakes. So I don't know if it makes a difference on what kind of cakes you're making, but for me, it works with those kind of cakes. And I um, take stuff out of the oven. I let it cool in the pans for like maybe five minutes or so. And then I invert it on plastic wrap, wrap it up nice and tight, put it in the freezer. I don't, I read that somewhere years ago 
that I don't know if this is true or not. What I read years ago is that doing that, like as it's cooling in the plastic wrap, like the condensation is like trapped inside of it. So it like kind of goes back into the cake and like moisture, just like more moisture from okay. the condensation makes your cake moist. Um, again, not positive that's true, but I've been doing that for a couple of years now and I really like the end result. Um, so, I mean, I like having my cakes frozen because it makes it easier to decorate but I freeze them while they're still warm because of, because of that. And you never have like ice crystals forming in the outside or like a slick layer of ice? No, um, you want to wrap it complete, like, so there's no air inside to wrap it. Sometimes I double do it. I don't use foil or anything like that. I just use um, plastic wrap and just wrap tightly. So no air can get in. So there's no ice forming on the inside. Um, I haven't had ice forming on the outside either. Generally, I don't keep stuff in my freezer more than like, um, I've read like people do it, like help freezer cakes in advance up to like a week. I usually do like three or four days max. Usually I bake like two days in advance. So it's not in there too long. Okay, perfect. Thank you for the question, Sabrina. Feel free to add any other questions in. Uh, anyone who's uh, joining us right now. Uh, if someone wanted to get started with making a cake, where would you point them to? Um, I mean, play around with different, what I do when I'm, uh, when I was starting was I just tried all kinds of different recipes that I was finding in like cookbooks and online, just kind of like see what you like. Eventually like the recipes I use now are kind of ones that I've like tweaked over the years to kind of slowly improve them as, as I've made them over and over and over again. But kind of just like find out, bake a lot of different types of recipes and kind of see see what you like. Like I learned recently, like all the vanilla cakes I make now are kind of, they're made um, with a method called reverse creaming. So like, instead of like a most cake recipes you'll see where you get beet, butter and sugar and like beat it so it's fluffy and then you add your eggs and you add your dry ingredients. With like reverse creaming, you start with your dry ingredients. Then you add your butter and then you add your liquids last. So it's like, the opposite way that you would normally make a cake, but it has something to do with it forms less gluten. Um, okay. The way that the butter is going in, sort of like the first steps almost look like you're making like a pie crust or something. You're like breaking butter into a, like a dry mixture and then you're slowly adding liquids. And I found that like over the past year or something, like I like the results of those cakes a lot more than like the ones where you're beating the sugar, just it's like slightly denser texture, um, but it's so is it really good. It's you got like a lighter, less less of a chew to the sponge of your cake then? Yes. So it affects the yeah, it affects the gluten formation. So it there's less. So it is crumb like slightly like crumbly as opposed to like chewy and slightly a little more dense. Um as opposed to like it doesn't have all the air beat into it like when you beat the sugar and butter. So it's not like super fluffy, I guess. I still think it's like kind of fluffy. I don't know, but the texture wise, it's kind of been like the winner for me. I think dense though, but it is a little bit dense. Um, okay. Also just like playing with ingredients too. Like I have kind of gone down like um, using all different kinds of like cocoa powders and chocolates and kind of finding ones, like finding out how they affect like, like the tastes. Like I am against like opposite of probably any sort of baking rule read where everyone's like use unsalted butter so you can control the amount of salt in your baked goods. I only bake with salted butter. Um, I've just learned that the amount of salt you have to add when you're using unsalted butter, it just like 
you have to add so much salt to get to like a taste where it balances out the sweet, um, especially in like frostings and buttercreams. So I only bake with salted butter um, and like playing with different like vanillas and like vanilla pastes versus like vanilla extracts and vanilla and just kind of playing with that. As far as like decorating, um, I watch a lot of videos. Like I watch it, I can sit and scroll through like Instagram and just watch videos or like YouTube. Um, YouTube is where I was learning to make the mirror glazes for the first time. There's a couple great YouTube videos um, where they'll walk you through like step-by-step. All right. The, um, the gluten development on the reverse creaming makes total sense since typically the more moisture you have in a mix, the easier it is for the gluten strands to bind with each other. So that's one of the reasons sourdoughs are so chewy and have such a high moisture content is because the high moisture content allows more gluten strands to combine with each other with less kneading and less work. And so that gets you that nice chew in the sourdough without kneading it for several minutes. Another thing that I think is one of the reasons I probably like it is because like, I think because less gluten and it doesn't rise, the crumb isn't rising quite, quite as much um, than like the traditional sugar and butter. Um, so my cakes bake pretty flat. So I don't have to do too much. Like I still like to trim the top of my cakes off, but none of my cakes baked like domed where I have to like, like I would have, like I don't have to um, trim my cakes if I don't want to and it would still be pretty, um, pretty level. But I just like to cut that like top layer, very thin layer off. Um, so I think this method like also just like bakes them flatter, which works for your stacking cakes. Okay. I would not have, I would not have made that leap logically that that would have been an outcome. That's good to know. I feel like I need to try this now. You just take any standard recipe yeah, and just kind of do it backwards. Um, I don't know actually if that would work. That would be really that'd be a fun experiment though. Um, there's a lot of recipes I found online that just are reverse creaming. Like I think I think I. I'd probably have to look it up, but there's a couple I've used before years ago that I kind of started with that I've kind of adapted from, but the recipes are written in that way, like reverse creaming. Okay. So I didn't like take a recipe and flip it on its side um, and see if that worked. Like do it, do it in two different directions and then compare the outcome from either one. Yeah. Uh, we got another question over here. What is your next cake design or experiment? Um, next experiment. I have a cake that I'm, I just started today. It's not really like a crazy experiment. The part that's gonna be hard for me is that it's gonna have mac macarons on it, which is not something that I make a lot. To be honest, I've made them once. So you um, are going to make the macaroons on this one though? I'm gonna make them. Okay. And I've made them once a few years ago and they turned out fine a few years ago, but I haven't done them since. So that's kind of part of the decoration on the top of what I'm going for for this cake. Um, so I think that's going to be the more challenging part of tomorrow's decoration process and the actual cake itself. Um, and then I have one cake coming up after that. That's actually for not for anyone and more for just like the picture. So like um, it's fancy sprinkles who is where I buy most of my sprinkles. They do like little like seasonal contests on Instagram. So they did one for Halloween, which is when I did my like brain cake. Mm -hmm. That was just for their like sponsored contest. 
they just pick a few winners and then you win a bunch of sprinkles and stuff like that so they have one for the holidays so i'm gonna i'm still kind of like working through what i'm gonna do um but i ordered a bunch of their like peppermint hot peppermint holiday mix sprinkles or something so it's gonna be some sort of like i think i'm gonna use fondant which is not my favorite and kind of do some sort of like shaped shaped cake molded kind of thing okay. um but i still have to kind of think through so most of i tried to like plan out as much as i can in advance like what i'm doing sometimes i draw pictures i tried to like have a vision before before i dive into it um so i feel a little bit more confident as opposed to just winging it that makes sense i hear planning helps a lot uh <laughs> in everything you could you could um purposely pick something that can be very frumpy with fondant and still look good. So you could do like a sack of presents. So the, the sack has to be slightly lumpy and then it's slightly tied off at the top and a few presents poking out or something. You don't have to actually use that. It's just a strategy. That's good. If you're planning on the fondant to be tricky, then go with the trickiness and let that work for you. Take it or leave it. No pressure. <laughs> Always taking ideas. Uh, we got another question from Sabrina here. Oh, this is a great one. Um, uh, to be fair, they're all great questions. Uh, but this was one that I would love to know the answer to as well. Do you use mostly all-purpose flour or cake flour for your cakes? And I'll add the, the additional of why. Um, currently, I'm using all-purpose all flour. Um, a few years ago, when I kind of started out in my cakes, I was using all cake flour and I've shifted um mostly just because convenience like I can always find all-purpose flour I can't always find cake flour um this summer I was actually doing a lot of recipe development and specifically with my vanilla cake recipe and I tried it a combination of ways the way that I normally do it which is all-purpose all I tried it with all cake flour and I tried it with some combination and honestly, the, the difference between them was like negligible. Like it wasn't noticeable enough and like all purpose flour for me is just like more convenient. Um, I didn't notice like a distinct enough, like fluffier texture or anything using, using cake flour. Um, sometimes what I'll do is I'll run it through a sieve or like a sifter, just like my all purpose flour and it lightens it like slightly, um, which I think does actually affect the rise a little bit. Um, but that's kind of like the extent of it. I don't, I don't use cake flour anymore. All right. There we go. Yeah. I, I think I've only got one recipe where I go out of my way to use cake flour and it's actually that black forest cake because so much of that cake needs to be light because the, the, the layering in it is whipped cream and you want the sponge to also be very light. So the slightly lower protein content in the cake flour, which I think is usually the difference. It might be milled slightly finer, but usually it's a very like maybe 2% difference in protein content um, can make a little bit of a difference, but for the most part, yeah, I also just go with all purpose. Uh, do you have any favorite cookbooks? Um, books. I have stacks of cookbooks. The thing is I don't use them that much. I'd say for most of my like recipe inspiration, I go 
go online and look at blogs and look at websites. Um, I have some go-to cookbooks that I use for things like cookies and brownies and stuff like that, just because I've had them forever and they have some of my favorite recipes in them, um, but not necessarily for cakes. I would, I am more likely to Google it and search around the internet. Um, I have, I've got a stack of them behind me. Um, I've got like the milk bar, all about cake one, um, cause I love their like cake truffles. I haven't actually, to be honest, made their cake from cake truffles? yet. Yeah, um, have, you, have you been to like Milk Bar? I don't know if they have it in San Francisco. They don't, I've received Milk Bar cakes in the mail. They are very good at getting cakes very cold and shipping them. Uh, I, they sell cake truffles, which I are like no little cake ball type things that are rolled in like a cake sugar type thing. Okay. That's like my, I like those more than their cake. Um, the cake truffles are very addicting. And they're they're in the cookbook, which is why I have the cookbook to make the truffles. Just for the one um, recipe. Yeah, they have all different kinds of flavors of cake truffles, but their most popular is like their birthday cake, like sprinkle cake truffle, um, which is also like a very time consuming recipe. There's so many, there's like a bunch of layers you have to make just to make a little truffle, but very good. Um, one look at only. There's a really good cookie cookbook. It's called Big Fat Cookies. It's my go-to for, um, they make these like huge, like, I don't know, use like a quarter cup, like ice cream scoop or something for all their cookies. So they're huge um, and delicious. Um, I also like looking through cookbooks like Christmas cookies and holiday cookies, but for cakes, I would say, I don't really have a lot of cookbook recommendations. Okay. Um, and then unless anyone else has any other questions, I think we can, oh, one just popped up. I grew up using measuring cups for my dry ingredients, but now I use a scale to measure my ingredients. What technique do you find useful in measuring ingredients? So um, I mostly use cups unless I do have the kitchen scale and I use it when the recipe, if I'm trying a new recipe or if I'm saying it's in grams and whatnot, I, I use that. But when I'm writing recipes, I use them in cups. And I'm also very bad about, especially with things I've made over and over again, about eyeballing stuff, which in cook baking is probably not the best. For the most part, it works out just because I've done it so many times. Um, sometimes it does not to measure stuff, but um, I'm just impatient. Sometimes I'll eyeball stuff. Um, but like, like are you eyeballing the, flour or is it things like um, vanilla extract? More, more like liquids. Um, not so much flour, um, not so much dry ingredients, seasonings, liquids, stuff like that. Um, trying to get a feel for it. Um, as far as like, I use like measuring cups. I do the, I know it's not as accurate. I don't think it's using like grams and stuff, but I, I try to do the thing where you like, you don't pack in, like make sure the flour is really loose um, and kind of like spoon it and stuff like that. Um, but yep, cups, that answers the question. All right, cups. I would have totally guessed you were going to say a scale in grams. Nope. Nope. Cup I think it's just because I've grown up using using cups, all of that. Um, but I did just buy my scale, I think, last year. So um, I bought it, I think, when I started making bread. I think that's okay. why I bought the scale. Because um, I was into bread for a while, not 
sour I yeast yeasted breads I can do um but I I, think I won't I tell the, Mitch <laughs> yeah I, I do have a few bread cookbooks actually that have been pretty pretty useful but sourdough I can't do um but the scale was kind of necessary for all of those cookbooks everything was only in grams yep that makes sense the bread bakers are definitely a measurement in gram society yeah yeah um, I've been finding that I, I have to use both scale and cups for things, partially because of if I'm using someone else's recipe, at least in the US, it's almost always in volume rather than weight. So I have to mm -hmm. use cups. But what I'll find is if I'll record the weight of what I'm using while I do it, and then if I like the outcome, I'll just write down the weight next to that volume. So the next time I do it, I have the option of doing either. Or if I need to share the updates with other folks, I can say like, you know, one cup of this is X number of grams, follow your bliss. Yeah, that's also, I mean, I know grams because I feel like a lot of people also, I'm sure weight varies based on like brands of ingredients you use and like very slightly, like if you use different kinds of flour, different kinds of like cocoa and stuff like that. Um, so that's actually a really good idea. I should start recording, <laughs> recording my stuff. I use a lot Especially of no carbs and then tuck them yeah. into my cookbooks or have a stack of them. And then I, I need to do a better job of digitizing them, AKA retyping them. Um, but I, I think for me, the thing that has elevated a lot of my cooking in the last few years has been doing a better job of recording the changes that I make in recipes and taking notes and just, I like to say uh, the only difference between a book and a notebook is a book is partially filled in for you. So I, I will fill up any blank space in a cookbook when I'm modifying recipes. So that's right there. And I don't feel bad about it at all because then when I open it up next time, I know exactly how I changed it before. I struggle with writing down everything a lot. I've had this problem a lot where especially when I'm working on recipe development for pies, because usually it's months before the competition that I'm working on all these recipes and I've gotten them how I like it. And then months later I'm at the competition and I'm wishing I had all these notes from when I was making them. Oh, no. Cause I'm like, I'm like, I haven't made this in a while. I wish I like took much more detailed notes because really I bring with me to the competition, a typed recipe that like my end result, but I don't really bring any of like my work in progress, like notes and all that. Just yeah, little notes. Time. It's if you start with just note cards, it's not very intimidating because you never feel like you're writing something down in a notebook that later you'll have to scratch out or something. And because they're small, I don't, I don't know why. At least for me, I find a note card is a very unintimidating mm -hmm. medium to write things down on. And you can be really messy, and it can be covered in chocolate or buttercream or whatever, and you don't really have to care. Um, so, I'm going to use that going forward. I'm going to start, start with some note cards. Awesome. I would love to hear how it turns out for you or how it changes uh, your baking or anything. Um, so we, the last 20 minutes just flew by and we had some great questions here. And I've got one last question. And, um, and then I think we'll, we'll sadly have to part ways. Thank you so much for your time tonight. This has been a blast. I'm so excited that uh, Mitch introduced us. And uh, okay, we got one more cake that, or uh, rather question, I got cakes on the mind. One more question that slipped in. What type of recipes do you use 
for your carved or shaped cakes. It seems you need a sturdy cake, but they're unpleasantly dense. Um, I don't use different cake recipes for ones that I carve versus ones that I, um, actually there's an exception to that. Um, my, the, so my vanilla cake is already like kind of dense. This is the one I was saying that uses like the reverse creaming. So it's a little bit denser than most cakes. Um, so as long as it's cold, like I'm taking it sort of out of the freezer, it carves pretty well and I can kind of like shape it. Um, my chocolate cake I use is pretty light and like pretty fluffy. So occasionally if I'm doing something like very shake, um, shaped, I'll use a different recipe, which is actually one that I've just found um, online. I'm trying to think of what recipe. It's actually really good. It's from like a famous bakery in LA, I think. Um, Proof, I think is what it's called. Um, P-R-O-F is like a bakery and they have the recipe. I think it's on the LA Times website. Um, but it's a really good chocolate cake that I found bakes a lot denser than it almost when I especially because I, I keep a lot of my cakes in the fridge it almost has like a fudgier not quite a brownie but just a denser texture and I'll use that occasionally if I know I'm doing something that's more more carved just because my chocolate cake is tends to be lighter um but in the most majority of my cakes I just use my standard like one chocolate recipe and one vanilla cake recipe okay and then it seems like the recurring theme of get things cold is a big benefit. Yes. yes. Okay. So if there's one takeaway, if people walked away from this entire conversation with only one thing, it's use your fridge liberally when, when making your cakes, both in the sponge form and during decoration. Yes. Love your fridge. All right. Um, thank you for that question, CJ. And my last question is, um, what is the best way for people to follow your journey? Is your Instagram at uh, Mindy Cakes the best place for folks to follow you? Or is there a website or are you more of a, a Twitter person? Or um, how can folks keep following you on your baking journey? So Instagram is definitely the number one place where I, it's the only place where I put all my cakes. Um, and I'm trying to start add more like video type of content to it as well. Um, and yeah, that's Mindy Cakes with two S's on the cakes. Um, and then there's a link in my bio on my Instagram. I did launch like a website this summer uh, where I'm going to start putting out more recipes. Um, so there's only, I think there's a handful. There's like six or seven recipes on there now. And it's a mix of like cake and pie. Um, but over the next few months, I'm going to try and, you know, photograph some more, some more stuff and get recipes up. All right. That's I just MindyCake.com. MindyCake, no S's? MindyCake, no S's. Okay. MindyCake.com. MindyCake.com. Yeah, that one's easier. Okay. And then the Instagram is MindyCakes, two S's at the Mindy end. MindyCakes, yes. Okay. Nice. Like dessert has two S's because you want exactly. more. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mindy. This was phenomenal. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to share this with other folks. I definitely took a lot away from this and, um, I'm, I'm sure I'll check back in at some point with you and have even more questions or, or share the results of, uh, what I'm trying to make based off your feedback. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun.
Just a quick reminder, if you would like to stay informed about our upcoming events and join us live to ask your questions of the experts, make sure to sign up at ClassicTim.com for event notifications. As an added bonus, I'll make sure you know every single time we have a free cookbook giveaway.